0: Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Earlier this year, the Edelman Trust Barometer asked a fascinating question of thousands of people worldwide. It asked, when forming an opinion of a company, how credible would the following people be? Well, top of the list of most credible was the company's technical expert. Fourth on the list? a regular employee, eighth, the CEO, and ninth, a member of its board of directors. Edelman's conclusion, its advice to organizations, was to activate your employee voices, not just your official spokespeople, but your specialists, your regular employees. Keith Lewis is doing exactly this for Zurich Insurance, one of the world's largest insurance groups with 55,000 people serving customers in more than 170 countries. He is the UK's social media and social business manager. He leads the charge to make the UK firm a more social business, amplifying the brand externally through genuine employee advocacy. In this episode, we lift the lid on employee advocacy. How do you activate your employee voices? How do you empower people to share their experience and their expertise? What barriers, what obstacles and pitfalls do we all need to watch out for? Now, in my view, nothing beats a real-life ongoing case study told by the person that's absolutely closest to the work. And to make this even more useful, Keith was very open about his experience and very straightforward with his advice. So without further delay, I bring you Keith Lewis. Keith, thank you so much for being on the Internal Comms podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So we first met face-to-face at the CIPR Inside conference where we were both speaking. And what I loved about your presentation was that it was a real life Case study, which I think is great, go beyond the theory. So, we're going to be talking about employee advocacy. But before we do, I thought it might be quite nice to have a little potted career history. And what surprised me about your CV and about your background is that you come from quite a traditional media, government relations, PR background and now have moved firmly into internal comms. And I was just interested in what initially attracted you to the media world and then what triggered the change into IC. Cool. Well, actually, I, just
1: to disagree with you slightly, I don't actually think of myself as being in internal comms, particularly from this audience perspective, from a structural perspective. Um, but yeah, you, you're right. So my background is background in media and PR. Um did that right the way through. Um, and, and quickly found, obviously, back in the uh, late 2000s when social media was becoming a thing that that was a, a clear avenue that we needed to move to from a media relations perspective so shifted into social um, and then as we've gone through the years uh, as socials developed and we've realized with the way organic traffic's going that the great power that we've all got in organizations is our people we've always said that from an internal comms perspective yes. so now we're kind of moving that into the social world and a lot of what I do is trying to switch on and activate the four and a half thousand we've people we've got at Zurich in the UK and fifty thousand globally to kind of help us out from a social perspective. So yes, we're doing all our brand channels that you'd expect us to do as an organisation. Um, but the new thing for us is, is kind of taking the people with us. And, and like most of your listeners to the podcast, that our people are the best people that we've got. And yes. They're our best advocates for what we do. We employ them because they're good at what they do. Um, so we we'll try and get them to say that out loud. Um, is something I think we've all got to try and do, and that's part of part of my job as a social media manager as Zurich, obviously covering the internal side of things as well as the external.
0: So how would you define then employee advocacy because it's interesting in the sense that there is an element of it that people shy away from slightly because they worry that it's going to sound inauthentic so when you think of it working really well how would you describe it
1: there are two elements to it one is is kind of being proud and saying they're proud to work for who they work for um, which is one element but then the other other part of it is to raise their own profile so we're trying to raise the profile of the people we've got at Zurich because they're all experts in what they do whether they're on the underwriting side or whether in claims or whether they're a finance expert or a tax expert or a comms expert we've got them all over the place and they're great at what they do so getting them to raise their personal brand um, and their own personal profile will reflect really positively on us Um, and if they're doing that we've obviously got lots of good stuff we can talk to them and give them to share and content to share I and mean, if they can do a mixture of all those things, um, then kind of it's a bit of a win-win for, for both sides, us as a company and them as individuals.
0: Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I guess there's probably not a a switch on the wall that you can flick. And all of a sudden, these people are going to start spontaneously having conversations internally and externally. There's a process yeah. you have yeah, to it's, go it's, through. Yeah, it's a
1: very much a long, long game approach to, to what we're doing. So we've definitely taken... Some of the things that we can talk about, uh, we've kind of activating our, our internal social channels using the platforms that we're using and how we then try to take the take that best practice and that comfort that they've now got um, and lift some of those into the external world. And that's a very organic process for us. We're not kind of doing anything massively exciting or massive, we're not incentivizing it. we just kind of gradually let it happen. And I think if you talk to to lots of your those listening, if you're talking to their sort of marketing or social media people they'll probably find that lots of the shares that they're getting on platforms like facebook are probably from their employees anyway they might have seen that charity thing that they've done or the community piece of work that they've done or the business when they've done and they're the ones that are sharing it and i see that through our just organic analytics
0: mm-hmm. and kind of
1: embracing that culture change that we've had over the last i guess it's been a 10-year approach for us to get to that stage where we're getting people still pushing pushing themselves out out of their comfort zone um but reacting to the the modern world that we're all living in
0: can i ask you about initially your senior leaders reaction to this because you operate in a highly regulated market yes. and i'm wondering how leaders approach this idea did they think well hang on a minute this is a lack of control, that we're losing this control now. We're sort of handing over the voice where I could have a trained spokesperson and I could give them talking points and all of a sudden I haven't got that anymore. Did they that, worry about that? There
1: is a worry. I mean, I still worry about that to, to some extent <laughs> with my media hat on. Um, that's still a concern. But we're in the trust game. We we kind of think we, we trust our people to go out and sell products to to our customers whether that's intermediated or direct and these are really important things we're talking about it's the things that will put us back on our feet if we have an accident or our home gets flooded or we get um, an illness or a disease this is really big stuff and we trust our people to do that on a day-to-day basis so this is just an extension of that so yes there's a concern from leaders that we Keep an element of control. So we've got guidelines in place. We've got social media policies. We do lots of monitoring and listening just to make sure. But we kind of empower people to do it. And, and everyone in our organisation knows what their red lines are. They know what they're not allowed to say because they've not been allowed to say it face to face for right, years. Right. So we can't sell life insurance direct. I can't advise you to do that because it's against the law. So It's the same thing. I'm not allowed to sit here and sell you life insurance, so I'm not going to do it online. Right. Um, So we know what our red lines are. We just need to kind of then give people content and sort of permission to talk about the other stuff that's well away from those grey lines. And some of that is about us as an organisation rather than the stuff that we sell. And that's obviously an element. That's more a safer element to get started on if anyone's thinking about it. Talk about yourself as a company. People will leave. You need people to walk through the door and come and work for you. So stick to that rather than potentially the product and the service that you might sell. Mm,
0: it's mm. that employer
1: brand stuff that we Yeah, and about.
0: promoting that talent brand, promoting the sort of pride in wearing the shirt, mm. I guess. But activating those people to actually start having those conversations, even finding potential advocates, that can't be easy because they don't all just put their hands up, do they?
1: No, um, some do, um, which is great. Um, Some of you have to force their hand up and perhaps from a a media background, Helen, you you know who your spokespeople are because they're they're your leaders or your experts in that particular area. So they will naturally might need some guidance. That's a lift and shift really from a we're going to do a radio interview today to a, oh, we need you to do a blog post on that Mm. or do a a, a tweet chat on on that type of thing. It's just a different way of doing the same thing. But for for everybody else, yeah, very much so. It's it's been a a long process of getting them to see that we want them to and get them to understand that we're now wanting them to do it. It's what Mm. I call my permission to operate tour. Yes. Well, I'll just go and tell people we want them to do it, which is for a company like ours. We are a, an old Swiss insurance company. We are a risk-averse type of organisation and we employ that sort of people. Um, So we're having to, to kind of unpick lots of that mindset. But by showing them what we do as a company, what we'd like them to do, and now we've got a platform to enable them to share good content, it's been relatively straightforward to kind of lift them to do that. Slow, Slow, but relatively straightforward. But we've also had the advantage of using... Yammer to start with and now we're on Workplace as an internal social platform which has been really great because it's taking that behaviour that they do naturally internally and getting them to do it externally has been quite a a big shift for us.
0: And I thought that was fascinating that you get people as you say to kind of not exactly practice internally but get them used to the idea of doing it internally. I'd say that
1: it is practice it's Mm -hmm. it's exactly that because we are I mean like like many of you listening I guess there'll be fewer comms people now doing the job that we used to do 10 years ago Mm -hmm. so we've got to find new ways of doing that and part of that is to empower different people in our organizations to tell their own stories internally to 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 leave us comms people out of it to some extent yes um so workplace lets people do that so we're having those conversations all the time and getting them to practice telling their stories so it is practice Mm -hmm. and then it becomes habit and then it's easier for us to have that conversation to say go and do that on linkedin
0: Now, I know a lot of people struggle to get their social platforms really flourishing and generating content. What advice would you give people who say, well, I've got Yammer, but I don't really feel it's working. I don't know how to really make it sing, as it were. What's your advice?
1: Keep testing. Keep testing and learning. Find the thing that's going to get people in there. So so for us in the early days, it was finding that, that leadership blog that we used to write. Or that um chief exec email that used to go out and moving it only into Yammer at the time right. in our workplace and that was the thing we know people were reading it and it was kind of a we have to go there I and mean, you have to get them into the platform to do it um s- some people and I'm I'm slightly pained to say this out loud but one of our big groups on on workplace is pets at Zurich which I think is, <laughs> is inherently everything that we that we shouldn't have from us from a social media thing social media and pets is what everyone expects but if it gets people onto workplace to share their cat pictures or what they're doing in their pets and then they go and look at a strategic piece and then they talk about what their business is doing and then they talk to a leader about it then i'm sort of comfortable with it and if that's what happens in your network if that's where the conversation is already happening and it's more the social side then embrace it and give them somewhere to go and then gradually feed them with the the more business things now we haven't had to do a lot of work around that because lots of people are comfortable sharing we've been on quite a a change process from the uk where we brought lots of different businesses into one company so we're naturally getting people to tell their business stories and to try and share what's going on in different locations we're multi-site again in the uk so it naturally happens where people are trying to find out about what's going on across the business as part of that change process so it's been a, it's just been a gradual process i think find the reason to get them in yes. would be it would be the key advice and it might be I heard um, someone talk at a conference a couple of years ago and they said the for, what people always go to the internet for is pay and benefits. They yes. want their pay slip. So mm-hmm. put that in the platform. Yes. Make them go into the platform. If that's the only way to get their pay slip, then put it somewhere where they have to come and get mm-hmm. it and then try and keep them there. Yeah. Rather absolutely. than giving them another place to go for another another thing. I thought that was a really good piece of advice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What made you switch from Yammer to workplace?
1: It was a global strategic decision. As ever with these things, the, how the platforms are rolled out becomes crucial. Um, so globally, Yammer was rolled out from the centre in our head, head office um, and effectively lobbed over the wall to country. Um, it just so happened that myself and the, the chap who's now the head of internal comms were there to catch it when it landed in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it fitted the t- at the time. We were thinking, how do we better better use the internet? How do we get more conversation going? And then suddenly we had Yammer and it kind of built. We spent a couple of years doing what we did on Yammer, it turned out we were probably the only country of the Zurich global workforce who was doing it. Mm. Um, so suddenly someone at, at HQ said, Yammer's not working for us because they're looking at their metrics and they're showing that only 4% of the global population were using Yammer. Unfortunately, that was 60% of us in the UK.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: um, once you strip it down, they're all our UK people who are doing it. So they went through the process of, of saying, "Well, how do we, how do we change that? What platform is out there that we can can use globally that people understand that we hope we don't need to train people how to do it? It's natural behavior. And then we'll roll it out properly, which is they decided on Workplace. Obviously, it's a Facebook product. Most of the people listening to this will know Facebook from personal experience. We haven't had to teach anybody how to use Workplace. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that element. It's very familiar. Once you get people over the, the hurdle of you can't get from Facebook to Workplace or from Workplace to Facebook yes. and that data exchange, there isn't one conversation that was relatively straightforward so it was it was an easier thing to do and and what we've seen since then is that what we've done what we did with yammer and built yammer up from a uk perspective our other countries have now taken on board in other countries so now we've got i think we're running at about fifth just shy of 50 percent global activation workplace which is great not not daily and weekly as it, it might be with us in more advanced countries but it's um the, the pickup rate has been really good
0: so when people did start posting internally and sharing from your experience what type of content gets real traction you mentioned pets and i completely yeah. understand that we are and certainly in the uk for example a nation of dog lovers but it seems cats and video just seem to go really well together for some yeah, reason for sure. but Aside from that, what kind of content are you finding um, really hits the mark internally first? It's, it's a real
1: mixture of things. Um, anything that kind of forms a bit of a celebration, whether that's a, a business win or a retention, a lot of our businesses, our celebrations about keeping business rather than winning it. And um, people are really proud of that, particularly when there's cross-business collaboration to get it over the line. Um, so naturally you get that element to it there. We're using a lot of location-driven Stuff, so I say, we've got thirteen sites in the UK. Um, all of them have different needs and perhaps different conversations going on, and it's really localized. Whether it's um, cupcake day or charity day or dress down or whatever that might have looked like so we've created those what's in location areas or what's in Whiteley where i'm based or what's in london or what's in manchester those sorts of locations are working really well to take away those sort of local mass email conversations that people yes. might be familiar with they just now happen on workplace they don't have to come through comms they don't need to go on the internet. Um so that's worked really nicely um, and then getting anything where you can get the the chief to comment or like on it and she and i'm fortunate that our chief exec's really good at it we don't have to tell her what to do yeah. she does it naturally which is great uh, anything that they drive that conversation and we've also done a lot of work in the last 12 to 18 months around our employer brand so we've done lots of work on our hr policies we've completely rewritten them all we've brought new ones out to make it relevant to the modern workforce our diversity and inclusion work which people are really proud of Mm. I mean, that drives a great conversation because they can see it happening around them and it's good for them. And we've done lots of our employee benefits work as well. It's getting very personal, but people can see it and that drives good conversation.
0: I'm just interested, though, because I can imagine all of that is great content internally. But then what are the guidelines that you give people when you say now you're posting externally? Because presumably to protect the brand, there are some things you're going to be... Keener on hearing externally, maybe less of the cupcake sales more about the employer brand and so what do your guidelines actually look like they're,
1: they're really quite broad okay. um, and it's all capsulated there's a phrase I use that I won't for your audience benefit but it kind of keep it keep, it's common sense and okay. keep it legal. <laughs> <laughs> um obviously we're in a regulated space so it has to be going back to what we talked about earlier that, that legality issue we need to stay away from certain areas where we're talking about advice or particular product areas we don't criticize our competitors so right. we just don't get into those conversations um and it's our areas of expertise so that's we stick to what you know right is is the basic side of stuff if you don't know then don't get dragged into a conversation don't create an argument over something um and stay in that sort of co- your your professional and personal comfort zone mm. there's a really the the principles that we, we abide by it's kind of be positive, use it to create networks, talk to your networks, um, and, and raise the profile of what you're doing for us if you're allowed to. Obviously, caveats like caveat there. Um, and we haven't found that's a problem, mm. it really hasn't. It's a lot of it is around time and tone, so talk to people in the right way about the right thing. If you get it wrong, you'll get called out for it, and it'll, yes. be, it'll become a it will become a thing that you don't want it to be so really think about it and, and again going back to our organization we are a risk averse organization but mm. that's what we do um, so our people are have that in built into their minds anyway so I'm, I'm quite pleased that i've got those people who will think too much before pressing that post button yes um, rather than going shooting from the hip and then having to rein it back in later we don't generally have that within within us
0: and put some metrics around it for us. I mean, in general, how much better does a piece of personal content from a real employee, how much better does that perform than, say, just a Zurich branded piece of content?
1: So we've got um, a platform that we use to to give our employees to share content out so we can see what, what's working and what what's not. And there's some headline baselines, I guess, Signals that we've we've used. So our, our if if we just posted everything from our own channels, I think the maximum number of people we could hit if everybody saw everything we post, which is clearly nonsense, would be about seventy thousand people. Mm -hmm. What we say if if ten percent of our UK workforce of the four and a half thousand posted that reach by virtue of people who are already in their networks could get. If you believe reach figures to about three hundred thousand people, so that's just the broad. If you just start with that as a mindset, even if you don't believe those reach numbers, which I sort of don't, but you get the scale of, yes. the, of the difference. Um, and we're seeing hundreds of shares of, of content, whether that's Zurich content or industry content or just generally engaging content every month um, that's reaching potentially millions of people. Now, but for me, it's not. It's not the reach that's important; it's the engagement. Yes, um, and we're seeing four thousand pieces of engagement a month from from those shares and those those conversations that we start which is what we're all about because we're in the relationship business right whatever it is we do that's what i kind of remind people that we're all about And if we can start to drive a conversation and have good engagement with that content, um, then that will will benefit off the back of it.
0: Mm. And it's really, really simple, isn't it? It's people talking to people because we're much more likely to interact with another person than we are a brand. Even if that brand's got quite a defined personality, it's still not quite as attractive to us, is it, I guess? Sure. I mean,
1: no one goes out and buys things from a brand they buy from the person over the till even at that level um, it's that person-to-person engagement that really drives drives the sale and and we all know from our personal behavior I guess um, if you're looking for a recommendation for a plumber or something tonight you'll go to Facebook and say anyone know a plumber I need a plumber or we're looking to do an extension that's the behavior that we're all naturally doing now so we're using that as a kind of mindset say, well, if you buy from people or you sell an organisation or a company to people and a product from people, then um, getting people to talk about it is what we're all about.
0: And it really plays into that sort of Edelman trust barometer thing where we're now discovering that people trust people like them. They trust their company experts and they're less likely to trust generically the government business in general um, even NGOs you know they're looking to their employer internally to be a trusted source of news but in terms of spokespeople it plays exactly into yeah. your gender doesn't and, it and everyone if you
1: think if everyone knows the Edelman Trust chart all those on the left-hand side of that chart academic experts technical experts and people like you mm. that's everybody who works for our organization mm. and I'm guessing that's most people who work for the of, of your listeners um, so that we're all in that camp of mm. One, if not two, if not three of those buckets. Mm. So yeah, us as individuals are far more powerful um, than our, than even our exec. And I kind of have to t- remind our exec of that sometimes, but they understand the principle.
0: And, and what I love about it, and when I saw that chart, I thought this is wonderful because actually, if you sell whatever product you sell, you don't just have to have conversations about that one product. As you say, if you're a large corporate, you're going to have I don't know. A VAT expert. You're going to have a procurement expert. You're going to have a HR expert. These are all people with stories to tell. I guess. Absolutely.
1: So. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I ever want anyone to do is to go on and share all of Zurich's stuff. How mm. dull would that make you as a, as a person? <laughs> um, and you become that that broadcast corporate monkey, if you like, uh, the corporate puppet. And we just don't need people like people don't aren't like that in re- real life. They might share a mixture of things. And um, when you go to work, you, you don't just talk about work, you talk about other things as well. So you can you can bring some of those things to to your social platforms as well.
0: Just getting into the mechanics of it, I believe you use LinkedIn Elevate. That's is that right? right? Yeah. So what is that platform and, and how does it help you?
1: Cool. So so LinkedIn Elevate is obviously a product by LinkedIn. There are a number of others out there. Things like you might have heard of Dynamic Signal or Post Beyond or Smart. There's a, there's a number of them growing now. Um, and effectively, they all operate in a similar way. They provide us as a company with a place to put our content in topic content buckets or different ways of doing it. Your employees then can see that content. They can uh, You can pre-populate the words that will go with that content. So, for example, there's a, um, a piece on, let's say, how to be more productive in the workplace we will write a piece that says, oh, there's some great tips here on how to be productive in the workplace. Don't you agree? Mm. Um, the employee can see that on their platform. And if they like that and they think that will work for their their network and their audience, they all they have to do is press share. I always encourage them to look at those words that we pre-prepped for them to mm-hmm. make sure that it sounds like you. Um, and we have to remember when we're putting that content in, we're writing that perspective on behalf of potentially 50,000 people yes. globally. So we have to, it's a bit base. Um, so I always encourage people to make it sound like them. But we've given them the, the, the baseline to go off. If they want to share just those words, they can. Um, and then it goes off into, um, for us, LinkedIn or Twitter, we're considering adding in Facebook to that as well. Mm. And all the platforms are fairly similar. You, you, you connect your personal social c- um, channels right. to it, and then it goes out to, when you press share, it will go to your LinkedIn feed. It'll go to your Twitter profile. Um, mm-hmm. in those words with that link. So, from an audience perspective, they don't see it's coming from a platform. No. Um, it's just the words and a link to a story or a picture or a video, or whatever it might, it might be. So it's really straightforward. Um, and it takes two things away from our workforce: fear, um, and time. So those are the two big things. I haven't got time to do social. I'm too busy doing work stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, but. If they have time, it's the fear of, oh, I don't know what to post, or I don't know what to say, or am I allowed to say it? Well, Elevate for us takes both of those things away, because you can schedule content up to seven days in advance. Everything that's in it has been signed off. We've been through a check process. It's it's legally okay from our legal and compliance financial promotions perspective, or it's just good content. And we've already written the words for you if you want to just use those. So we've te- we're have we taking both the fear of time and the fear of, I oh, don't know what to, to post away from people and making it just dead easy for them
0: do you allow people to go completely off-piste as it were and create something entirely of their own absolutely yeah Yeah.
1: and with with any of those platforms you can share content into it Um, i think if for for me one of the success criteria of a platform of elevate is that they actually stop using it Right, because they're they get into the flow of posting content then you've got to then you're engaging with the people who are engaging with you and you're having a conversation with, then you get building more connections therefore your own natural feed whether it's on twitter or, or linkedin becomes more qualified to you and your network and therefore mm-hmm. you've got you've got content in your feed and you get into that mindset of oh i've seen that i'm going to share it to linkedin kind of mm-hmm. go around the platform mm-hmm. it's a really hard metric to get my head around because how do you prove that in the end but um, I guess a challenge for a few years' time. It's a nice problem to have. But for sure, yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, great areas where anyone, anything can be shared into Elevate for us or into the platform. We validate it and just make sure it's appropriate to, to anyone else and um, for everybody else. And it's not about some of our red line areas or some of the issues that we're just not going to provide for our workforce to, to talk about. And then we'll we'll make it live. So, yeah, we're, we're good at that. We're um, identifying... Who is who are the content creators out there that are doing it naturally, and then we're plugging their content into into the system as well, so it gets a lot of reach and it's, it's being noticed by people at the other end as well.
0: Because that's what I like about it. it then becomes quite a two way dynamic because you're listening to your publishers, I suppose, your internal publishers, as much as creating content for others. So that's that's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's,
1: it's, it's one of those win wins for everybody. Yeah, everyone, let everyone. They create their content and then we kind of amplify it. Yes. Um. To to the people in our in our own collective um, audiences to get it out there for them,
0: and it seems to play into another agenda at the moment. I was reading an article not the other not long ago that was really saying that at the moment now we live in a world where people are doing tours of duty. You know, no one kind of, or well, very few people join a company for life. So I'm going to be here as long as it's challenging for me. I'm going to gain some experience, and then I'm going to move on. So promoting and developing your own personal brand, I think is becoming more important to people, isn't it?
1: I, I'd say so. I mean, again, media and PR and comms hat on. Um, <laughs> absolutely. That's what we're always trying to do, isn't it? We're trying to get people to, to put their heads above the parapet. But in in doing that, they become a better version of themselves which means they become a better employee and they do better business and they stay for longer all the metrics that go into right. everyone knows yeah. about that you people who are more engaged work harder stay stay longer uh, and do better business how do you prove that through social is the i guess is the, the ongoing debate and the ROI of it but yeah the challenge i sometimes get from our leaders is but if if we're pushing them out there and we're promoting them <laughs> well, doesn't that kind of send a big flag to our competitors to come and steal them yes um and i say yes it does and your job is to keep them
0: yeah good answer Um,
1: (laughs) because there are people and we employ them to be brilliant at what they do Mm. if they become too brilliant Mm, um, our challenge is to find better jobs for them within the firm or kind of give them permission to leave yeah Um, and then hopefully they'll come back later because there's another there's another a growing band of people who might leave an organization for a, a, a bigger role and then come back yes And that's again of keep keeping your network um, warm and um, getting people to come back is is no bad thing from a career perspective. Having done it myself,
0: yeah, absolutely. I noticed that on your CV actually. So let's ask a little bit about measurement. We've touched on it, and you've said that it's not just reach, but it's actually quality in other words the engagement the conversation that it's driving is that actually what you measure in terms of success
1: so that the platform for us measures all those things so we can see volume of shares we can see who is sharing so we can reward that those people if we if we wanted to that we've chosen not to at this stage but we can see it we can lead aboard it and we sort of play to some of our competitive teams sort of sales teams we can play to that we can lead aboard those teams which is good so that's one of the, the sort of volume of shares and reach is an element to it. I think reach is important. I just don't believe the figures that come out of any any system. Um, and for example, if I, I did some judging for a PR awards um, during this year um, and somebody in a regional awards entry had said that their reach for their work was over 2 billion people. And I'm sure that their whatever platform they're using has added all those people up and they've come up with that figure. But it's clearly nonsense. <laughs> it's clearly not from from one of the regions of the UK of the regions that I was. It's clearly not true figure. Um, and of course, reach is potential reach, and if we just don't know who's who actually then sees things. Hmm. So the real metric for me is, is engagement. Um, but there's also some other figures that we get out of the back office. For. So LinkedIn help us to to prove quality leads, particularly from an employment perspective. Oh. So we know because the data we can track the data all the way through that we've got about. 130 people at Zurich globally who now work for us having first engaged with a piece of content through Elevate. Wow! Now I can't prove what happened between that first touch point and them walking through the door but we can assume that they saw a piece of content about Zurich it developed a relationship with either a person or a role or it brought them into the organization to say oh they must be doing some good there. Um, let's have a look at their website oh i'll have a look at their jobs while i'm there and say, oh there's a, there's a job there for me and I'll, then i'll apply and we can see that from from the metrics. so it's it's a qualified um, um employee lead uh, which is which is good obviously that's part of what part of the reason we're doing this is to talk more about us as a company and we're doing lots of work as i said before to kind of change and work on our employer brand we've done lots of work there and we're, we're seeing that come back in um we're also able to see sort of we could plug sales metrics into it. So some people, we we aren't doing that, um, but some people who are more in the advanced social selling space yes. can plug Elevate into their sales CRM tools and you can then see exactly who's doing what and whether it drives actual business sales. There's too much going on in our world, I think, to drive right. a, a line because lots of our business is intermediated and it's broken yes. and things like that. So it's very difficult to, to draw, draw a line between someone reading a piece of content and then buying a commercial business policy. Mm. There's just too much going on in our world or, or there to, to do that. But other, others out there can do that and do it really successfully. Mm. Um, so there's mm. lots of different metrics in there. Mm. Um, but for, for us, it's about I guess it's about volume and the quality of those engagements and then what's coming back through the door.
0: Mm. I read an interesting blog of yours in researching for this episode where you were talking about how much of yourself that you should expose. I don't know if that's the right word on social media. And I think this came up particularly with Twitter. So, for example, I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't necessarily link with their work colleagues on Facebook. LinkedIn feels quite professional but Twitter is one of those that seems to spam both. So I I ask this question quite genuinely because I find it quite difficult to, I would say, sort of share personal stuff. And I question myself why, because I have a feeling it would be quite popular and I don't know quite what's stopping me from doing it. What's your advice to people about where they draw the line?
1: I think the best advice is to think about it first. Okay. So so what are you trying to achieve by being on that platform? What's your end game for for being on Twitter? Um is it to be a, a version of yourself with all the different elements that go into it? And I've chosen right from the start for that to be about all every bit of me that I right. When I go to work, we don't just talk about insurance, thank goodness. Um <laughs> it's a mixture of things, it's about family, the fact that my was on the radio this morning singing and and i've got rugby at the weekend and i'm a referee and i've got all the different elements of work and the stuff that goes through it and i bring all of that to twitter so there is no surprises when you look at my twitter feed that you might get any number of those things chucked in for good measure and that's kind of bringing yourself to work but i've i knew right at the start that my twitter handle was going to be about everything i think some people deliberately delineate it Mm -hmm. um but I was listening to one of your episodes uh, the other the other day, and we we're talking about the merger of home and work—that yes. grey area where well, it's not black and white; it's all manner of greys. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't get up in the morning, do the family stuff, then go to work, and then come home and switch off. Today is a great example for me. So, took the boys to school this morning. Came up to London. I'm gonna, we're having this podcast chat now. I'm gonna. get get home straight from here and i'm gonna take son number two to his acro class and i'll be doing some work from the leisure center (laughs) coffee shop um and then i'll come home we'll do the family stuff and then i might do half an hour to an hour's work in the evening when everything's gone that's my that's a sort of standard day for a lot of people there's so many different elements to it Mm. um so why delineate yourself on social you, your your day life isn't just one thing anymore. It's a mixture of things. And that's brilliant for me. My employer absolutely embraces that. And, and hopefully some of your listeners are moving into that more flexible working and agile work, whatever it is you call it,
0: because
1: mm. it brings out the best mm. of you as an employee and me as an employee, because I can do all those things without having to worry about, oh, I can't do that. I'm at, I'm at work, air quotes. Mm. Um, we're all at work. We're all at home and we can work remotely and work from different places. And that just I think that makes people better people.
0: Yes, brings absolutely. all those
1: experiences together. The converse side of that discussion is that people can't switch off and then you yes. might get a, men- a mental health issue or that you kind of that um, th- those issues are starting to come to the fore and I'm always conscious of that it's not for everybody. Some people want to get up in the morning, go to work leave work and switch off mm. brilliant we've got jobs for, for people like, like you and, and and if you're like that that's great mm. um, but for many of us it's just not like that and we have to find a way of empowering people to switch off mm. which is a challenge that's another, another podcast episode entirely all- but-
0: <laughs> I guess This, the elephant in the room question is probably around social influence, if we really want to dig into it. And we had Harry Hugo from the Go Agency on an earlier podcast, 24-year-old running this big agency. He demystified social in a way because he was saying, I grew up in a pub. It's not that different. It's about people having genuine conversations with like-minded people. It's about that social kind of conversation, really. But there's this slightly dark side of social now that's creeping in where the ASA are saying, no, we need guidelines around this. You've got to be more transparent when you're really, you know, this is when something's sponsored and advertised and when it's not. What's your feeling about social influences generally? Is is this something that actually might die off and morph into something else?
1: I actually don't know what I think on that yet. I'm doing a lot of work. I know the CIPR are doing some work there. I'm getting involved in that because I'm genuinely in two minds of it myself as to do we embrace it or do we kind of rein it back in? Because it becomes that that authentic voice. And we're already starting to see if we think the picture that your listeners will have got to when we talk about social influences is not what I talk about. Right. Um, I am. Although I am absolutely, my social influencers are the four and a half thousand people that work for Zurich. They are my social influencers. Um, they're not the celebrities who might talk about their insurance claim and hopefully the brilliant service that we might offer for them. Um, because that's just not real life. That doesn't happen. And we're not in that space. So I guess it's slightly, slightly difficult one. Um, it's certainly one we've got to be really conscious of. Um, and that, that, that episode was was really interesting to me because I'm not sure I would have said I was in the social influencer space before that point. And then I suddenly right. thought, hang on a sec that 's exactly what I'm doing <laughs> um, I am talking about um, how to raise the profile and get our experts to be more more social um, and I've actually just 'm doing a, a chat next week with one of our legal teams and they've sent me an article from a legal publication this uh, last week that was a kind of negative in tone about social um, and why being social is a risk and it's more of a problem and what i've done is i've taken the words the article, and I've, re- I've every time it talked about social, I've put breakfast briefing in, <laughs> um, and it reads exactly the same as you were just saying, uh, and as, as Harry said in the episode. If I say to our legal team, can you go and t- can you do this breakfast session, networking session at the law firm next week? They'll be there like a shot,
0: right.
1: because it's in face-to-face social networking, but they're really worried about doing it on Twitter. So for me, there isn't a difference. It's just using a different platform, and that but you've still got to be aware of everything that you say can be taken and record. It can be recorded in those breakfast networking sessions and taken to a newspaper or taken to a publication, just Mm. like it can on Twitter. You can be taken out of context face to face, just like you can on social. But the benefits are just as are just the same. So yes, there's always a risk to everything we do. Um, we've just got to be aware of it and 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 tread carefully. And that's the same for this, the wider social influencer space. Is that it's 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 growing. It'll it'll grow and it'll develop and it'll change over time, just like everything else does. Um, we've just got to get on the right side of it from a, as a profession. We've got to be aware of what the issues are and make sure that we're not going to come back from a reputation risk perspective. Because if we get it wrong we'll get it wrong in public.
0: Yes. Um, And
1: we need to make sure we don't get it wrong in public because that will be a a bad thing. But I think most people who set out to engage in those sorts of activities are doing it for the right reason. They fall away because it's not open and transparent. Um, the, The ethics are there. We're doing it for the right reason ethically, but we might execute it slightly Rightly, so we've mm. just got to be aware of it and it's a that's a responsibility for us as PR professionals and comms experts to make sure we know what the regulations say and um, that we're asking the right questions and we're challenging the right people in the right way and working across our businesses um, to make sure that those conversations are being had and we're aware of it all.
0: Mm, mm. I suppose the big difference with using internal social influences is authenticity mm. um, it's it's not someone who is obviously being paid to do it in quite the same way it's who's living and breathing the organisational culture so therefore is likely to sound real they really are real that kind of
1: helps (laughs) we need them to be real we need them because people deal with people
0: Mm, you you know when
1: it's not real and that will switch that'll switch people off and work against you
0: it's interesting because i was speaking at a branded content day not long ago and i was put in a sort of separate team of people who were B2B and so not in the exciting B2C world. And I was, the first thing I said is, uh, I'm not sure that B2C, B2B really matters because at the end of the day, people by people, it's the first point you made. So I think it's so relevant, maybe even more relevant in a B2B world where those brands can feel quite distant from us if they're not backed up by a voice, a real voice or face.
1: And that will come back to when we come to recruitment or we come into to retaining talent or attracting good talent. If people don't know who you are and you don't realise that you're an authentic brand, then we'll struggle to get people to come through the door.
0: So some people listening might be thinking, this all sounds really great. I've got a social channel, so I could start testing things out on Yammer, Workplace, whatever it is. But there's a timing issue. When is a good time to do this? So they may be thinking, 10 to 1, they're thinking, I'm just about to go through a major change or I'm going through a major change now i'm really interested in your answer to this and i'm hoping that you mention the phrase "trojan mice
1: okay, <laughs> um, okay Tro- well, Trojan mice I'll come to from a timing <laughs> perspective um I think the way that modern or Uh, yeah i guess modern organizations work is there will probably never be a good time to do anything there'll always be a change program going on around the corner or a bit of business that we don't want to talk about or do want to talk about or a merger and acquisition although there's always something going on i think i spent the first couple of years thinking oh well we just need to wait for that program to to do Mm -hmm. and then oh, oh now we've got another one over there to do there will never there's never an ideal time to do it but that's not to say you shouldn't do it. Full stop. So I'd, I'm always of the view that to to pick a time and to make it happen, unless there's a very good reason not to. And lots of the nervousness around that is that we're gonna we're creating a platform to people to be unhappy on. And particularly <laughs> when it comes to change. Here's a great platform to to engage and have your view. But there might be some negative stuff going on. And and for us, what we've learned from that is that. We have to make sure what we're doing is right and it's done in the right way so it's a process issue people understand that change happens um, and that they might be negatively impacted by that change but if you communicate that well and it's done in the right way and you've explained the business rationale behind it they might personally be impacted by it and their outcome might not be good but it's being done in the right way for the right reasons, and then it becomes difficult to argue with. Mm. In the past, if we go back 10, 15 years maybe, we think, oh, we've been told we need to make budget cuts, so we're just going to cut 100 jobs and we're going to be random about it that might be the outcome and that's a really hard way to from an hr perspective and a comms perspective it's a really hard message but if you've got a business strategy that you have to achieve and everyone knows what that strategy is and as part of that you have to make these changes because the market changes the platform changes whatever the thing looks like then that's the story and everyone can understand why you're making it they might not like it but they understand it which is a very different place to be in to say we're cutting quarter of our jobs
0: mm,
1: mm. it's going to we'll decide how we do it later on mm. type of approach very yes. different comms approach so from that's the timing issue um trojan mice is is more the execution of how you might do it right. so there's a great book by a chap called ewan semple who led social for the bbc and he wrote a book called uh, organizations don't tweet people do um which was one of my game-changing books
0: mm-hmm.
1: um mm. because i read that chat and that's one of the chapters in it um trojan mice and it's kind of you can either go top-down or you can go bottom-up, and that's kind of what Trojan Mice is. So you you find your your people at the ground level and you kind of set them off,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and that's what the Trojan Mice principle is. And we very much did that from a, a Yammer and interso- to, from an internal to external platform. Mm-hmm. I created what was... We started off as our Club 140, which I think I may have shamelessly stolen the title from Dell, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's creating that group of people who you can work with of all levels, not necessarily exec or management, um, and get them to set off and, and develop them, show them how to do it, and they will take their networks with them. So whether it was people on our employee resource groups, in our DNI groups, in our culture awareness groups, or our organizational health index groups that we've got on all our sites, we find key people out there who ha- who are the sort of leaders in their own offices um, or the person you always go to in yes. in Leeds you, there's always that person whoever it is you yes. know who you know who you know exactly who I'm talking about in your organization yeah. get those people and if you can take them with you and explain get them to do it they will be your trojan mice out in the workforce and they'll build whatever it is you want them to build in whatever way you want them to do um, so we, that's that's the principle of Trojan mice.
0: I was also struck um, in researching for this that you did a lot, am I right, you did a lot of face-to-face presentations. You just went around the country oh, talking yeah. to people about this.
1: I kind of referred to that earlier in my permission to operate tour. Um, so lots of people, still people at Zurich, and we've got lots of people who work for us who have been here for a long time, they will still phone or email me and say, am I allowed to post, I've just seen this on Facebook, am I allowed to share it? Um, we changed our social media policy and our Zurich-wide global code of conduct changed six years ago was to be really explicit that we want people to do social. We want people to do it and they're allowed to do it if they do it in the right way at the right time. Um, So that's been there for six years but people either haven't read it or they don't believe it. I mean the easiest way to persuade people is just to get in front of them. Mm. Uh, If I stand in front of you can put posters up and you can send emails um, but if you can go and Put in front of them and stand with them and explain to them. Here is the bit in the code of conduct that you've all agreed to for the last six years. Mm. This is what it says, and this is what I'm telling you to do, and that you can. Then um, you can you can literally see the light bulbs going on. Right. Um, and once they get that permission to operate, then it changes the conversation.
0: Because mm, I'm not I'm not having that.
1: that conversation with people now about I'm not allowed to. They're seeing it. They've they've heard it. They've believed it, and they're now seeing. Little things like the the Twitter bird is on our internal posters. So they're seeing social more. They're seeing Workplace, which is obviously a Facebook product. They're seeing social all the time. Um, so they're starting to believe it. It's kind of that nudge theory, I guess.
0: One question, one final question I'd like to ask is about the timeline of all this. So I'm just imagining I'm listening to you and it's all sounding great how long is a process like this going to take? What realistic time frame should I put on it until, you know, from, from the beginning to the point at which I've really got great social activity and advocacy happening externally? It's a, it's a
1: brilliant question. And I'm sure there are greater minds than I who can come up with a much better answer. And, and I'm going to be typically woolly here is that it It really does depend on what your start point is and what your culture is right now, and how much work you're going to have to do to get people ready. Um, And I'm seeing that within the global Zurich organisation. So we've been at this social game now for probably best part of five years. Um, So we've been talking about this. We've been talking it up. We've been gradually getting people comfortable with the social approach. That kind of slowly, slowly, catchy monkey type approach, and then once you get a platform, to get to have a platform like Elevate, which isn't a cheap thing, you've kind of already got people ready to go straight away. Mm. Um, but it's taken us five years to get there. Okay. And I'm, I, I worry a little bit in, in some of our other countries now where we're rolling Elevate out that they're not ready for it. Okay. Um, so I think it could take you a while to be ready for a plat if you need a platform to do it mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you you can't do it without a platform so it, it's a it becomes a bit more manual so you have to find a way of getting your content and either emailing it to people and hope that they t- mm-hmm. take the next steps it's slightly more manual and it's slightly clunky but if that's right for you um, and it gets you going it gets your feet going it helps you to build a business case um for, for a future investment then then start now with what you've got mm-hmm. um but yeah it really does t- it'll be different from a a big organisation to a small one if you're able to look up I mean your wonderful offices here if if you can look up from your corner office and shout at all your people and get them to do something straight away brilliant if you can force them to do it even better as I'm sure you you might you <laughs> might sometimes for, for us we've got four and a half thousand people in 14 different locations plus remote and home workers you can't do that no so you've got to find a way of of getting to those people and, and getting them to do what you'd like them to do and kind of taking them with you on that on that journey so it's going to be very very different depending on who you are, how big you are, multi-site, single-site, culture, content, mm. um, and I guess getting everyone to understand what your version of why looks like, why mm. are you doing it. Why are so, you doing so, it, so sorry, yeah. it's, a, yeah. it's a very woolly answer to a brilliant no, question.
0: but everyone is in a different point of that journey, and they can... They can activate people at a different rate, depending on the culture and all the rest of it. And sometimes probably it might be easier if you're starting with a very greenfield site, actually, and you haven't got lots of legacy channels and systems and protocols. It might it might just actually be quicker. How big is your team?
1: You're, you're looking at my team. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just me. Um, but on my own so i don't have a team of, within the social but i've got kind of four and a half thousand people in my team It's mm-hmm. how i sell it and i kind of sit across our marketing teams our internal comms teams our media government affairs public affairs corporate affairs team which i'm part of so i've kind of got access to all those people and the content machine that sits with all those different pockets so mm-hmm. that's helpful so if you're thinking about you have to create content put it somewhere get it or create it and then activate people. I don't have to do the content side of it. So there's the resource done for me. Um, I always say we don't have a content problem at Zurich. We've probably got a distribution one. So we've got lots of content, different marketing teams, different PR teams, media teams, all creating great stuff. Um, what we don't didn't have was a, a way to easily get people to share it so now we've with elevate we've we've got that and we're bringing it all together but it's not it's not a cheap system um, and it does re- rely you do need people to to run it and drive it whether that's a, a paid for resource or a, a network of people that you can call on around your organization to, to make it happen
0: mm-hmm. In this whole debate that I've had in several episodes of the podcast between what is internal and what is external and whether those worlds are colliding, you are you absolutely typify, you personify that merger, really, don't you? Of internal do you even think, oh now this is internal? You said at the beginning, well, I would question that I'm in internal comms. Do you see no boundary at all? Would you just think of yourself as a communicator?
1: Uh, I absolutely see myself as a communicator. Do I have internal and external lenses on all the time? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it depends on what we're we're trying to communicate and to whom and about what. Typical communicator's PR response (laughs) there, but that's what we're about. Message A to message to audience B Mm -hmm. um, via route X. So pick all those things. Um, But yeah, a lot of the conversations that we might have now, those internal external lines are blurring. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know whether you've had that conversation about podcasts internal podcasts Mm -hmm. Um, and there are other podcasts out there about that particular subject that I've talked about Um, and some of the things that we might think we need an internal podcast here and I'm going well it doesn't really need to be internal exactly what would be the work if so if I take an example we've got our women's innovation network we've got a lady in London who has taken it upon herself to create some interviews um, that she's putting out internally so what's the best way of getting this out there I think well. I've listened to them, and it's brilliant. It's you as a as a, a normal employee, let's say, talking to some of our leaders about what it's like to be a woman in the workplace. Mm-hmm. If we put that on Apple Podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it is, or Google Podcasts, what would be the worst thing that could happen if somebody outside of Zurich was to find it? And the answer is there's no. It's, it's, a it's a win-win. There will be occasions where we want we need to keep things internal, particularly from a commerce perspective. We're talking about financials or business strategy or stuff that's. Is within the Zurich world and whoever it is you're employed by there will be things that you need to keep in in-house um, we've just got to find ways of getting the distribution right to keep it in house and putting it somewhere where the risk is isn't there that it's going to leak or it's going to get out if you don't want it to mm-hmm. so yes we've got i've got different lenses that we approach and we might we might do things in a different way um, for a particular audience if the content there is confidential or it needs to be but that's the challenge that we're always facing as communicators is to to get the right thing to the right people in the right way
0: I mean, I think that is the great shame sometimes about internal communications. We sometimes do lack the distribution mechanisms. And I always make the joke that, you know, how long is it going to be before we wake up in the morning and we just say, Alexa, play me my team brief? It's possible it's happening already in the States. It's probably happening in the UK. But it's a very simple, cheap, easy way, mechanism, if you like, of getting content in front of people at a time of their choosing on a platform potentially of their choosing as well. So we are eventually, finally, we're using external channels to reach internal people. And that just kind of is making sense, I think.
1: It is. But there is obviously an inbuilt risk to that, Mm. um, which we've got to be aware of. And we've got to find ways of controlling that risk. But it's it's I very much look at things as an opportunity rather than a, a, a risk and not to do it. So how how can we do it while mitigating the risk? That's a very insurance um, employee driven answer, which is not like me. But that's it is something we've all got to think about as as communicators.
0: We'll move on to those quick fire questions if we if we can. So what would most surprise people about Keith Lewis? Well, I kind of
1: most of the things about me are in the public domain anyway. So I guess that <laughs> not, nothing's too much of a surprise if I talk about rugby or refereeing or the family and all that kind of stuff. So I think the thing that people I haven't done recently for years is that I'm a, um, a brass player. So I, play the trumpet and cornet all the way through school so I can play any brass instrument as long as it's got vowels so anything from a, a an e-flat soprano up to a double b-flat bass I I can play and have played in my time
0: wow but not part of a band at the moment um,
1: no no I've got I can't squeeze it in no, I, I, can... I, I do still have a cornet and a trumpet at home Um, and occasionally it comes out around Christmas or <laughs> around Remembrance Day obviously from a last post perspective so it doesn't, yes. doesn't happen very often and I'd like I like I keep my eye in every now and again but... <laughs>
0: Excellent. If you could give your 20 year old self some careers advice, if you could go back in time, what would you tell the young Keith?
1: Um, well, it was only five years or so ago. <laughs> it's not that long to think but that's not true. Um, I would say to make sure you really work your network and make sure that network is as broad as possible, whether that's in your organisation or in your profession. Um, because A, you don't know what the future looks like, um, but that network that you build can really help you and it can either help you be informed about what's going on, you can use that network if you perhaps need to sound people out about things. Um, it might be where your next job might might sit or look, and you just don't know it now. Um, but yeah, work, work across your organisation, not necessarily up and down it.
0: Mm. Have you got any tips for that? Is it just a matter of being brave and reaching out to yeah, people? Yeah, I mean
1: we've talked, haven't we, about platforms? So now it's—I think it's much easier now. In the past, I would literally have to go and walk around our, the, the 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 buildings and the different offices to do that. But now you might have networks. Um, so whether it's in intranet or social workplace or whatever that network looks like it's easier to do um because you can build those relationships online and then take them offline if you need to so yeah just just use whatever tools you've got um, and don't be afraid to to, to go and see people
0: mm, it's so important isn't it just to rock up and say hello and see the whites of people's eyes yeah yeah it really really does what would you do tomorrow if you knew you couldn't fail
1: oh i've struggled with this a little bit um So, I do run a a rugby refereeing side project hustle. So, I've got a website that I run and a podcast that I run on that side. So, I think if I could, if I knew I could do it without failing, I'd find a way of um, doing more referee based training and, and, developing because that's a big problem we've got in the rugby world is that we can't get enough people into refereeing and to stay um, and it's very disparate and there's lots of great opportunities for people to do it and I'd obviously advocate for people who want to stay involved in, in any sport to look at the match official route because um, it's such a, a an important part of the game and there's great some great opportunities for everybody in whatever sport so I think I'd, I'd switch my rugbyreferee.net hat on and, and find a way of getting more people involved and, and helping people to become better referees.
0: Brilliant so when you think of the world's best communicator, alive or dead, who comes to mind?
1: Oh, there's, so, there's so many out there. And I, I come back to the, the, the big politicians. So back, my background is very political and, and being involved in news and things like that. But you listen to someone like President Obama, who I'm sure has cropped up in this answer before. He, is a, he seemed to be able to switch the right voice on at the right time about the right thing. And you always felt it was authentic. Um, you listen to some leaders and you go that's not them that was just because the comms bods told them to go in and be serious or sincere or funny or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. Um, but someone like him wherever wherever you found him on whatever channel it was you'd know he was that felt like it was the real him Mm -hmm. Um, and since he's left office I think we've probably seen more of that the cynic in me said that that can't all have been real but I've I think it probably was and even even reading michelle Obama's or listening to her um audiobook um the, the last year you got a sense of that from her as well that was all all real so i mm-hmm. um, yeah, finding ways to be really be authentic and communicate that he was um certainly someone I'd always looked to
0: hmm. Yeah, I've read a brilliant Guardian article not that long ago about all the letters he got from general members of the public while he's in office and all the ones he still gets. And he has a little team of people answering them all. But I think you're right. I think it's that being very intentional to listen and think about the answer and not just shoot from the hip, as you say, but in- truly engage with the audience, I guess, is what potentially comes through every time you see him interact which is perhaps not what we're seeing so much now in politics, but anyway, we'll we'll move on from that one. And so, finally, if you could have anything written on a billboard for millions to see, what would you have written on that billboard?
1: So my answer to that is is two in two parts. Um, one would be you've got this, mm-hmm. um, and the second the second part of that would be uh, what's the end game? I think no. I may have mentioned that earlier on. I've had that on on a Bit of paper on my desk for a long time and whenever I've been allowed to have a desk and it's just about <laughs> having understanding what you're trying to do from the start or understanding what what the from a press office perspective what is the journalist trying to do what's the end game for them what's the end game for you and how do you meet somewhere in the middle from, from that perspective but from a social what's the end game for you is it about brand is it about personal brand is it about job is it about network and once you can understand that it's kind of a version of what's your why i guess Mm. um is then you understand how you best get to that end game and that'll be different for everybody depending on what that end game looks like i mean i think that you've got this bit is that there's so many out so much out there now i guess it's the imposter syndrome bit is that we're all doing the jobs that we're doing because we're good at them. Mm. But we don't necessarily believe it. <laughs> and sometimes even, even even people like me need to know that you're good at this and mm. you've got it, mm. um, whether you believe that or not. But I guess seeing that on the billboard to remind you that you've got it and whatever it is that you're doing um you're doing it because it's it's you and you've you've got it so make the most of it
0: i love that answer i think from memory it might be similar to rachel miller's answer and i think she sees the same thing she sees talented people all the time that don't quite believe in themselves enough thank you so much keith for appearing on the internal comms podcast thanks very much So that's a wrap for this episode and indeed for season two of the internal comms podcast. For the books and the other resources that Keith and I mentioned, head over to AB's website, abcom, that's m.co.uk slash podcast, and you'll find the show notes there. And while you're there, don't forget, you might like to sign up for our monthly IC newsletter. It's called I saw this and thought of you. It'll give you updates on the show as well as other newsy nuggets from the world of IC. Listeners, as we bid farewell to 2019, I would just like to say a very genuine, heartfelt thank you for listening and for sharing your appreciation of the show on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and when I've been fortunate enough to meet a few of you in person this year. On the day we launched, the show reached number nine in iTunes' new and noteworthy chart. And to be honest, I don't think we ever really looked back. To date, we've had over 22,000 plays in 50 countries worldwide. To me, that just suggests the growing importance and interest in internal communications. So, for those of you listening, in the UK, the US, Australia, and Canada, For those of you in Germany, Jamaica, Japan and Jersey, for those of you in the Democratic Republic of Congo, wherever you are, I'd like to wish you all happy holidays and please have a wonderful 2020. We will be back early in the new year to continue our quest to find new, interesting, innovative and thought-provoking ways to improve the way we all communicate at work. So lovely listeners, until we meet again, remember it's what's inside that counts.